We're going to begin our worship by singing to God's praise from Psalm 108 in the Sing Psalms version. Psalm 108, we're going to sing from verse 1 to verse 7, page 146 of the psalm book. O Lord God, my heart is steadfast, and with all my soul I'll sing. Harp and lyre, I will awaken, and my song the dawn will bring. A psalm to lead us into worship and praise uh, through singing to his name. So we'll stand to sing verse 1 to 7 to God's praise. Let's draw near to God in prayer. Let us pray. Lord, our God, our Father in heaven, we come to bow before you to worship and praise your name. We come, O Lord, this evening hour, thankful for this, your day, thankful for every opportunity we have to worship and praise your name. Thank you that we can come and sing praise to you, for you alone are worthy of all our praise. We thank you that even when we come, uh, we can feel, O Lord, the sense of the world in which we live being defeated by sin. And yet, as we are reminded in what we have been singing, that you are the one who is victorious, that you are the one whose steadfast love is boundless. You are the one whose faithfulness towards us reaches even to the sky, as the psalmist describes it. And we thank you, Lord, that that reminds us that the earth is yours. The earth belongs unto the Lord and all that it contains. And we thank you that that is true each and every day of our experience and that no matter what goes on around us, 
no matter what goes on within us, that we are assured that you are God and there is no other. So help us that we will find our confidence in you, that we'll be confident in all that you have done, confident in our Saviour Christ Jesus, confident in your Spirit working in this world in which we live, confident of your church being built up day by day, and confident, O Lord, that the day will come when you will come in your triumphal procession, you will come, O Lord, on that day, that glorious day of the final resurrection, the day of judgment, a day of fear for many, but a day of joy for your people, a day, O Lord, when we will rejoice in you as the one who will make all things new. And so we pray, Lord, that you will fill our hearts with that confident assurance that through faith we have the hope of all these things, the hope of the glory that is ours in Christ Jesus. And we pray, Lord, for your church to be confident. We pray that throughout the world, as your people gather in your name, no matter where it is or no matter what their experience, what their circumstances are, that they will all remain confident in you with that great assurance, that great promise that where your people gather in your name that you're in the midst to bless. And so we thank you for the assurance of your presence towards us and towards all your church. Now this day and always, for that is the promise that we have, that you are with us always, even to the end of the age. And so, Lord, we claim your promises. We pray your promises. We plead your promises to be ours in the midst of the generation in which we live, that you will come in a day of your power, that you will come with a great blessing for your people, that you will come restoring, Lord, so much that has been ruined by sin, that you will come with healing in your wings, that you will come, O oh Lord, to restore nations and people to yourself. And as we look around us and as we see uh, the miseries of this world, as we see the sorrows and the sadness that surround us day by day, we come praying, Lord, for all the different needs we come again reminded of uh, and thinking of all that's happened in Turkey and Syria and the great devastation there because of the earthquake. And, oh Lord, we cannot enter into that experience. We cannot understand just what they are going through at this time in many ways. But, Lord, we pray for your mercy towards them. We thank you that even after so many days, survivors are still being found. How amazing it is to see and hear of people being brought out alive. But yet we know the reality for so many is the pain of death, the loss of loved ones, and so much of their lives just turned upside down. And we pray, Lord, for your mercy, for your blessing over these lands and over these people and all who seek to help them. We know so often, Lord, even in the aid that's given, it leads to dishonesty, it leads to corruption. And we just pray that those who need it will receive that the, the aid that is given and that you will help people, Lord, to build up from the ruins, to build their lives once again. But even in the midst of it all, to recognize the need to build on Christ as a foundation, as the only security, as the only certainty of salvation for this world. And so we pray, Lord, for all the nations of this world, for we know that we do not need a natural disaster to recognize the, the state of our world and the perishing nature of it. But we are reminded day by day of all that sin has done in our world and the pain it brings. But we thank you too, as we have heard even this day already and as we hear so often, that there is the wonderful light of the gospel. And we thank you for it even here in our midst this evening and as it goes out to all ends of the earth today. We thank you that there is a message of hope and that there is hope to be found in Christ Jesus. And so we remember all who share your word today with so many different people in so many different places. And through all the different languages of this world, we thank you that your gospel is heard by so many tribes and tongues and nations. And we pray again your promise for your word that it will not return to you empty or void but accomplish all for which you have sent it forth. So may your word be blessed today, Lord, 
and each and every day. And as we go into this week, Lord, that your blessing would go with us. And as we anticipate, God willing, our communion season, we do continue to pray as we prepare ourselves for that, as we hear your word and as we prepare prayerfully for it, that your word will be blessed to all of us. But we bless, Lord, to members and adherents and bless to all who come in to hear it. We pray, Lord, there will be a time of rich blessing and fellowship around your gospel, a time of encouragement, a time of knowing God with us. And so we ask, Lord, that in all that we do in this coming week, we will seek to do it for your glory. So remember your servants who will come to be with us, Reverend Kenny Ferguson, Reverend Carl MacDonald, Reverend Ian McCritchie. We remember them, Lord, and pray that you will prepare them and that you will use them in their time here, that you will bless every service of the gospel as we gather around your word. We thank you, too, for the new ministry beginning in our presbytery today. We thank you for the induction of Reverend Don MacLeod on Friday evening to the congregation in North Tolstan for his being preached in this morning by Reverend Ian McCritchie and for his own ministry beginning there this evening, even as we are gathered here just now. And we do pray, Lord, for him, pray for Emma as well. We pray for the congregation, that truly, Lord, you will surround them, that you will encourage them, that you will bless them and use them for your glory. We do pray, Lord, that there be a time of encouragement, a time of blessing, not just for them, but for our presbytery as a whole, as we rejoice in this new ministry. And we seek, Lord, your blessing over every congregation belonging to us throughout our islands. We remember each one, Lord, praying for your ministers and for your people far and wide throughout our islands to be the lights of the gospel throughout our communities here. We pray for those in need this evening as well. And as we heard uh, this morning of little uh, Lucy Beth Davis, we continue to pray for her and uphold her in prayer. We pray, Lord, for her surgery today, that uh, everything would go well with her, that you would restore her, that you would help those who are uh, caring for her and looking after her at this time. We pray, Lord, that uh, you'll be with her and with her parents too, with Nick and Laura Jane and all the family at this time. And we do thank you that in times such as this, that there is a real blessing in praying people and that unity in prayer and help us to continue to pray for them all, uh, that they will be watched over, that they will be kept by you. And we pray, Lord, for them to be home again soon. So, Lord, look over them and be with them, we pray, so we commit them to you. And many others, Lord, going through trials just now of ill health and infirmity, People confined to their homes and in, in homes just now as well, Lord, we pray for your protection and keeping over us as a people. We pray for comfort to those who mourn. We pray, Lord, for your blessing over our communities at large, uh, from young to old alike, Lord. We pray for all our different needs. We thank you, Lord, for all who help us in our different times, for the health service, uh, for the fire brigade, for the police, for the ambulance service the Coast Guards, Lord. We know that there are so many different people involved in, in meeting and looking after all our different needs. And we thank you for each one and pray your blessing on them, your protection over them. We thank you for our schools and our young people. We pray your blessing on them as they go into a new week, as they enjoy a time of holiday in this coming week as well, Lord. May you look after uh, teachers, staff, parents, and children alike. May you surround them and be with them in these days and in all the days ahead. You will guide their steps and bless them, Lord, that in the confusion of this world, that they too would know the assurance, the comfort, the confidence that there is in Christ Jesus as our Lord. So bless us now as we continue in our worship. Guide us and keep us. And all we ask, we ask the forgiveness of our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll continue to sing to God's praise, this time in Psalm 24 in the Scottish Psalter, page 230 of the Psalm books, Psalm 24, page 230, and we'll sing from verse 6 down to the end of the psalm. <laughs> this is the generation that after him inquire. O Jacob, who do seek thy face with their whole heart's desire, 
The gates lift up your heads on high, ye doors that last for aye be lifted up, that so the King of glory enter me. We'll sing verse 6 to the end of the psalm to God's praise. This is the generation that after him We turn to read God's word this evening in the letter of Paul to the Colossians. I'm reading in chapter 1. Paul's letter to Colossians, chapter 1. We can read the whole of this chapter together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of, of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved uh, fellow servant, 
he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created um, through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might may that he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And so on. And may God bless that reading from his word. We'll again sing to God's praise this time in Psalm 111. In the Scottish Psalter version, page 391, we can sing from verse 1 to verse 5. Psalm 111, page 391, from the beginning. Praise ye the Lord with my whole heart. I will God's praise declare, where the assemblies of the just and congregations are. We'll sing from verse 1 to 5. We stand to sing to God's praise.
We can turn back together this evening to look at some of these verses in Colossians chapter 1. And we can read again at verse 27. Colossians chapter 1 and at verse 27. We here Paul is speaking about his ministry uh, to the church at Colossae and speaking in this way of the mystery that was hidden for generations but is now being revealed to them. Uh, how God has made known uh, this great mystery among them. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Why was Paul making this so clear to the people of Colossae at this time? That what they had was this need of Christ in them, the hope of glory. And as you turn back, uh, to the earlier part of this chapter at verse 15 where Paul is teaching them of the preeminence of Christ, how superior Christ is in all things and over all things. What was the need that the church at Colossae had? Well, as Paul was writing to them, he was writing to a relatively young uh, church, young in terms of their faith where Paul had proclaimed the gospel there before and many had come to faith but after Paul had gone away, others had come into their midst, other teachers, telling them that they needed more than this gospel, that they needed to add other things to this gospel in order to be assured of their salvation. And so Paul is writing to these people who are struggling as to whether or not the gospel is enough. The gospel as they received it is enough for their salvation. And so as Paul is doing so throughout this letter, he, he's making it very clear to the people and also to those who are coming in and teaching in this false way that Christ was all that they needed, that Christ was all sufficient for salvation. He's saying to them, what could we possibly add to our salvation that would make it any better? And so as Paul is writing to them, the people then would be examining themselves. They would be looking at themselves and wondering about their own lives, asking the questions about what they're hearing and what they're seeing around them. What they've heard from Paul on one hand, Christ is enough. And what they're hearing on the other hand, that, well, maybe Christ isn't enough or you don't even need Christ. Some would be saying as well, these false teachers would be coming in with all kinds of different teachings. So they're weighing up these two arguments. And what Paul is writing to them to encourage them is to come to know the riches of the mystery that he revealed to them, the riches of the gospel that he brought to them, and just the riches that this is able to bring to them and satisfy everything that they need. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the hope of seeing and knowing God now, but also seeing him and knowing him for all eternity. So he is writing to them in this way. And again, we think of ourselves here today and how we come to this gospel. We come to it again this evening, but do we recognize that we have all that we need in this gospel? As we think of the week that lies ahead for us, as we look forward, God willing, to all that the week will entail, whether it's maybe coming to the Hope Explored course on the Tuesday, coming to the prayer meeting on the Wednesday or the Thursday, or coming to communion services over the weekend, or coming or not to the Lord's table. As we look to ourselves, as we examine ourselves, we so often would think, I'm not worthy of any of this. I'm not worthy of the hope that's being explored as this course is showing, being explored. I'm not worthy of coming among God's people at the, the prayer meeting. I'm not worthy to come to the communion table. All of these things we can feel so unworthy of. But sometimes that's not a bad thing because we have to recognize then what makes us worthy, how we can be worthy to come to any of these things, to approach 
God in any way at any time. We don't approach him because we are worthy or we are holy in and of ourselves or righteous in and of ourselves. We only come through Christ. That's the only way we can come to God. And so that is what Paul is writing to the church at Colossae about. And that's what he's sharing with us this evening as well. We're not worthy, but we don't need to add anything else into the mix. What we need is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is all sufficient. And in this section that we're reading here in verse 24 down, Paul is, if you like, shifting his focus from the sufficiency of Christ to now looking at how this applies to himself and to the people he's writing to. But if you look at it, he's speaking about himself and his own experience. But even as he does so, we're not seeing any less of Christ. And it's not that Paul's suddenly coming more to the fore in this situation. No, it's still all about Christ. Many of the false teachers, they would teach about Christ in one way. But then the folks would move away from Christ and onto something else. Or someone else. But not so as Paul is teaching. The focus is always on Christ. Christ shines through in all that he is doing. In all of his teaching. And we see that in just how he closes the section on the supremacy of Christ in verse 23. By explaining that he is now a minister of this message. And then he moves on to the fact that he is ministering this message to the people, but yet it's still all about Christ. Many people have seen Paul and look at him and think of him as an arrogant man, a, a bossy man, sometimes even a cruel man. And yet the more you look at Paul's writings in the New Testament, the more you see his humility, the more you see how he has been transformed by the grace of God, and that this is what he wants everyone else to know all about. He has been humbled before God. And now all he wants to do is that people would come and humble themselves before God and recognize that in Christ Jesus they have all that they need. It was James Parker, the writer, who once said, the healthy heart is one that bows down in humility and rises in praise and adoration. Bows down in humility and rises in praise and adoration. And the more you look at Paul's life and as, as his life goes on, the older he gets, it's almost like the lower he gets. He grows downward as one person described it. His own self-important diminishes and it's all about Christ. He humbles himself but he rises up praising the Lord. And so we want to just look at this Lord that he praised, this Lord that he knew, this Lord that he was serving and proclaiming to others. And think about it in this way. We want to look at Paul, but also see how it applies to ourselves. And first of all, we're thinking of this in light of the gospel that he's sharing and the gospel that we're hearing. And we think first of all of his, his gospel heart. All that he did was with his gospel heart, this gospel passion. Then we see his, his proclamation of this gospel. And then thirdly, we see his desire from it. So the first thing we want to see is his gospel heart. What made him alive in Christ? What made him go about every day was his gospel heart, this gospel passion, knowing Christ Jesus as his Lord. If you do any kind of online banking or have any kind of online accounts, and whether you're trying to phone to get into an account or if you're trying to get into it online, you always have to go through security checks. You have to answer certain questions. It'll be questions like, what was your mother's maiden name? What was your first school? What was your first pet's name? And often we have to struggle and try and remember what was the answers to this list of questions because we have to try and remember so many security questions. But they all have a purpose. 
What's the reason for all of these questions that you get asked when you're trying to get into important accounts? It's all about security. And it's all about your identification, making sure that you are who you're saying that you are, because we see so often and hear so often of fraud taking place. So you have to identify yourself by answering all these questions. Well, the false teachers who had come into Colossae, they were answering these questions on behalf of Paul as to where his identity was. And they were denying Paul's identity as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this, they were, they were leading people away from Paul's teaching and down this, this wrong path where they felt they had to add something to their faith, add something to their salvation. But all the time, as Paul is writing to them in this introduction here in chapter 1, Paul is speaking about his true identity. And he is saying his identity is in Christ. In who he is. And what he has done. It is all sufficient in Christ. And it pains him that people are saying that he isn't who he says he is. That his faith isn't real. Or that his saviour isn't enough. It pains him. And so as he is writing to them, he is assuring them of where his identity is and assuring them of who this Christ is. And he says to them here in verse 23, which leads us into the next section, it says, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And we often maybe think of this word minister as some kind of status. And it would be easy maybe to slip into that mistake. But the word minister isn't a word that's, that's higher than other Christians. The word minister, the word used here is, is servant. It's a word used for deacon. It's someone who serves. And that's how Paul is identifying himself. He is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is his identity. This is who he is. This is his passion. He is a minister of the gospel. He is a servant of the gospel. Anything else that he previously had, anything else that he was identifying with before his conversion is gone. This is who he is. As he says elsewhere, for me to live is Christ. This is where my identity is. This is all that counts to him. And it leads us to the question for ourselves. Is that the kind of heart that we have? Do we have a minister's heart? A servant heart? A heart that comes in obedience and faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. Seeking to honor him and do all things for him, seeking to leave all things behind and to go forward identifying with Christ Jesus. I belong to the Lord Jesus, making that stand as we were hearing this morning, letting our light shine before others. Is that our identity? Are we a servant like Paul? And a suffering servant at that. You see, as Paul goes into verse 24, I rejoice in my sufferings. He knows that this ministering, this servant heart of Christ, it leads to suffering in so many different ways. Physically, we know Paul, as you read through his letters, he was beaten, he was imprisoned, he suffered so much. But one of his greatest sufferings was the pain of seeing people led away from Christ. The pain of seeing those believers at Colossae being, listening to these false teachers coming in and being led away. His greatest pain was seeing others suffering. Not his own pains, but seeing people being lost to Christ. Seeing people lost in their sin. And that's what you see with a servant heart that Paul has. 
It's a heart for people. It's a heart for people who are perishing. A heart for people who are lost. And the more we come to know the Lord Jesus ourselves, the more we experience of his grace and, our, and his love towards us, the more we feel that pain towards others who are lost. You know, I'm sure you've been watching the television these last few days with the pictures from Syria and Turkey and the suffering of the people there. And you can't be but moved. Tears will come just looking at these people, these little children suffering. Whatever age, people suffering in so many ways. You can't be but moved by it. But when we think, we just look around ourselves. And there's suffering people everywhere. There are people who are perishing without Christ all around us. And the question is, do we have that servant heart, that suffering heart for them? Are we moved by that, that people are perishing? Do we weep over them? Dwight L. Moody was a famous evangelist in this time, and he was in London once during one of his evangelistic tours. And many preachers, many ministers in, in England wanted to hear from him. They wanted to hear what he had to say, how this man who wasn't well-educated in so many ways, but how this man was able to have such a winsome ministry. Many came to meet with him. And one day there, were, there was a meeting in his hotel room. And three other ministers were in this room with him. And they were asking him, you know, what is it in your life, in your ministry that makes such a difference? And he asked the other ministers to come to the window with him. And they went up to the window. And the window of the hotel looked down on a park. And Dwight Moody asked the other ministers, what do you see as you look out the window? And outside there was people buzzing back and forth. And the other ministers started ask, answering this question, I'm seeing young people, I'm, I'm seeing old people, I'm seeing lots of people just dashing to and fro. All kinds of answers as to what they were seeing. But then as Dwight L. Moody was looking out the window, Tears started to roll down his cheeks. And one of the ministers asked him, What do you see, Mr. Moody? His answer was, I see countless thousands of souls that are perishing without Christ. That is what he saw. And he was saying to them, This is the heart that you need for your ministry. A heart that goes out to those who are perishing, a heart of compassion, a heart like Christ's heart. When you think of Christ in the Gospels, in one time when in Matthew 9, verse 36, it says there he was seeing the crowds. And what does it say? He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. As Jesus saw Mary and Martha having lost their brother and many people mourning, Jesus wept. As Jesus was crucified on the cross, as he saw the crowds around him there in their lost state, what did he say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. There is this heart of compassion. That's the heart that Paul was showing for his people because that's the heart that Christ has for his people. He doesn't want any to be lost. But that all would come to Christ and find in him the hope of glory. So Paul here, he is ministering with this heart of a servant. The second thing we see here is his proclamation of this gospel. He preaches this gospel to them. He has become a minister, a steward of this gospel. So often when people ask about the, the work of a minister, it's often the joke that he works one day a week. Well, this week I was in Laxdale School. 
the school assembly, and there were some great questions from the children there. I spent some time in one of the classes, and they were asking questions about what was involved in the ministry. And many of them were already saying the kind of things that the minister was involved in, whether it's leading worship service or praying with his people or looking after the people in the congregation. They, they had a great idea of what the, the work of the minister was. And what was fascinating was every answer they were giving revolved around people. Whether it was preaching the word, whether it was visiting or all the things, it revolved around people. And I think that's the key thing here with Paul as well. He's proclaiming the gospel, but he's always proclaiming it as one who is proclaiming it to a people. So his proclamation here, he describes it as a stewardship. In verse 25, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. It was making the word of God fully known. Preaching, proclaiming the gospel to the people around him. And when we think of, of stewards today, very often we think of situations where we find stewards are in a place to control crowds. Whether it's at festivals or stadiums, there are always stewards on hand to guide people and help anyone who's in need. In many ways, that's the way a steward was in Paul's day as well. Stewards were those who very often were, were working in the households. They were entrusted with the daily needs of the household that they were working for, <clears throat> ensuring all the family had every provision that they needed. Day after day, <coughs> excuse me, they were involved in looking after everyone within the house. But the stewards, they were never the master. They were never the ones who were in complete charge. They were always working under their master's orders. They were never free to just decide for themselves what could be done or not be done. Orders were given to them and they were to follow those orders. And that's what you see with Paul here as well. He is describing himself as a steward as well as a servant. So he is one who is ministering under his master's authority. He has been given the stewardship from God. God is the one who is in complete control. But God has given him this ministry, this ministry, this gospel to proclaim. To proclaim the word of God fully known. To make the word of God fully known. And what does that mean? Well, it means, as you see in verse 28, him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. There's two sides to this message. There is warning and there is teaching. And that's so much of what the gospel is about every day and everywhere. There is warning and there is teaching. There is warning to turn to Christ <coughs> in a day when, he is, when we are able and there is teaching to be built up in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a great storm in the north of England in the year 1881. And a minister was telling the story of how many of the fishermen in his congregation had gone out to sea on the morning of the day this storm came. The weather had been stormy for about a week beforehand. And then all of a sudden, this day of calm had come. And, and the fishermen all gathered together in the harbor that day. And they were determined to go out. And they started loading up their fishing boats, getting the crew all together and ready to go out to sea to the fishing grounds. 41 boats left the harbor this one day. But before they went out, the harbour master had put up a signal, a storm signal, the warning that a storm was coming. The harbour master, although he'd seen this calm come, he'd seen the same thing before, knowing 
It was just a lull in the storm. But the fishermen were so desperate to get out to the fishing grounds, even just for a short time. They'd lost so much time. And so off they went, they ignored the warning. And within a few hours, the fierce storm arrived. While they were still out at sea, even though the harbor master had begged them not to go out, still they went out, they ignored the warning. And of the, all the boats that went out with nearly six, five or six men in each, most were lost. Only three boats returned. It was a tragedy. But they had been warned. And that's what Paul is doing here now. He is proclaiming this gospel. He is holding up this warning before the people then and to ourselves as well. The warning of the storm of judgment. Paul's ministry is a servant's ministry, but it's a ministry of proclamation and teaching. Instruction is given. And that's the instruction for ourselves today as well. To see this day in which we're living in. To see our need of the Lord Jesus Christ. To make God, the word of God, fully known that there is eternity before us all. To make God, the word of God fully known that we have all sinned against God. To make the word of God fully known that without him we will perish. But to make the word of God known that there is a way to salvation. The riches of the glory of Christ, this gospel that he preached, this gospel as he spoke of earlier in this chapter, in verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Showing that there is hope, and that this hope is the glory of God. The riches of the glory of the mystery. Which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. This is what he proclaims. Christ in you. The hope of glory. So there is warning. And there is teaching in this. The final thing we want to see here is. His desire from this gospel. We've seen Paul with his servant heart for the gospel, his proclaiming the gospel. Now we ask, what's his desire from this gospel? Well, it's that sinners will repent and that sinners will grow in the knowledge of Christ. Remember, as we said at the start, this was a people who were being led astray, a people who are being told you need to add X, Y, and said for your salvation to be secure. But Paul is saying, no. All you need is Christ. And faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's warning and he's teaching. He's suffering for this gospel. He's weeping over a perishing people. But what he wants is, that the people will come and know Christ for themselves. He has been challenged in his identity, who he is. It's been said of him, he's not a teacher. He's not a prophet. He's not a servant. He's an imposter. That's what they've been saying of him. But how does he respond? He says, oh, none of these things my identity is in Christ. I am a servant because of what he has done for me. And I have this hope of the glory that is a mystery which is Christ in you, the hope in glory. So who or what defines you? What is your identity? It's such a an issue today in the world in which we live, we can identify as whatever we want. 
but what do you identify in? Or where is your identity? We can identify in different ways. We can call ourselves different things. I'm a member. I'm an adherent. I'm a worker. I'm retired. We have all of these ways of identifying ourselves. But is it more important that we would say, I'm a sinner who needs the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how Paul identifies himself initially. But then he says his identity is in Christ. His salvation is secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. This mystery revealed Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of everything that we need. Christ is all or Christ is nothing. And so what is he to you tonight? Where do you stand with him? Paul speaks of this security. How do we know it? The warnings ring clear for us. It is to call upon the name of the Lord. And how can you know if you have this Christ in you? Well, he has implanted his love in your heart. And this love that you have in your heart, it begins to overflow. And you begin to love him. Because we love because he first loved us. And to know this love of Christ is to know Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so the call is to turn to him and to find your refuge in him. The glory doesn't belong to us. It's not about ourselves adding anything else to our salvation that will make us any more secure in Christ. Christ is all sufficient. You may think of people in life and you think, well, they're ones who are able to say that they have done so much for Christ. They've got something more to add to what Christ has done for them. Look at what they've done for the church in this world. Well, listen to this of what Hudson Taylor, a missionary to China who did so much for the cause of Christ there. Listen to what he once said. He was to speak at a large Presbyterian church in Melbourne, Australia. And the man who was in charge of the service started introducing Hudson Taylor, the missionary to China. And he was using all kinds of eloquent and glowing terms. And he spoke to the congregation of all that Hudson Taylor had accomplished in China for the Lord. And then he introduced him as our illustrious guest, Hudson Taylor. Taylor stood quietly for a moment. And then he began to speak and he said, Dear friends, I am the little servant of an illustrious master. And that's a servant's heart. It's not about us. It's about an illustrious master. One who has done all for us. We don't add anything to it. But we come to do all in remembrance of him who gave himself for us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Pray you will have this hope today and always. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we are but servants of such an illustrious master, that we are one who has done all things for us and all things perfect. For we are failures in so many ways, we fall short. But we thank you for the finished work of Christ, that all is done for his people. 
that there is nothing that we need to bring that will do any more for us but to come humbly as servants of you. So, Lord, we pray that you will encourage us, that even as you warn us, that you will teach us to find our security in Christ and to know that great glory that is Christ in you. So bless your word to us and go with us in this week ahead and pardon our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll conclude by singing to his praise in the same psalm we had before, Psalm 111, in the Scottish Psalter, Psalm 111. And we'll sing from verse 6 to the end of the psalm. He did the power of his works and to his people show when he the heathen's heritage upon them did bestow. We'll sing from verse 6 to the end of the psalm to God's praise. He did the power of his works After the benediction, I'll go to the main door. Now may grace, mercy, and peace from God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest upon and abide with us all now and forevermore. Amen.